get a raise Not far from a star, two steps from a slave Take it for myself, man, it's time to get paid Telling all my people's look, let's get paid Asking no boss, man, can I get a raise Not far from a star, two steps from a slave Take it for myself, man, it's time to get paid They tell me, clever man, come on, you think too much Where you been, I ain't heard you spit in months Did you hang it up? Did you fall off the floor when you lose in the crush? Yeah, such and such, man, it's funny how when you out of sight, you be out of mind How a good woman, friends, and money be hard to find I've been on my hustle, stacking paper on the grind in Atlanta Trying to build a shot, real talk These days it's hard to stay sober Switching time zones with the four hour late Over fifth stop, I flush out Red from the doja I cry hard cause I can't flow in the soda You can tell I'm clever doja You in the corporate office somewhere over there You with a Range Rover This is getting colder And I ain't got time and I got a shot Email me in October I'm telling all my people Look, let's get paid Asking all boss, man, can I get a raise? Not far from a star, two steps from a slave Number one source for knowledge in the information age. High frequency radio network.
existence I was thinking blowed out of my mind Feeling like committing a crime Get a lot for that I won't snitch, I ain't dropping a dime I'm a self-made hustler, top of the line
say peace to the gods. Peace to the gods. <laughs> I would like to welcome you to another episode of the Foundation here on High Frequency Radio Network. This is the Foundation, and we are High Frequency. Where we understand incorrect information and correctly applied can get you hurt. Correct information incorrectly applied can get you hurt. So as always, we are applying that correct information correctly here at the foundation. Today's show is entitled Family Office, a lifetime achievement. I have many requests for a show about family office. So... Let's, let's discuss family office. But, you know, I'd like to welcome you to the show. I'm your host, So L S O T, Sot L, as Seeker of Truth L, Speaker of Truth L. It's my pleasure. I want to start off by saying all thanks, honors, and praises due to the Creator and the ancestors, creators. Uh, you know, how can we fathom anything larger than this? I want to say a big up shout out, salute to my big brother, the uncle of the conscious community, Yusuf L, high frequency radio creator. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. You know what I'm saying? SPC University secured party creditor. You trying to get your secured party creditor dance? Just, you know, illustrious. You want to go over there, spcuniversity.com. Do your dance with the, do your dance with your uncle. I would also like to welcome you to check out welcome to thefoundation.com. Make sure you sign up for that email list. Get them exclusive offers, content, and events. Check out that PDF section, free information. Grab and go and flee. But if you decide to come back, check out the education section. We got the passport, no social part one, part two. You know, Chris L came through, put it down. Passport, no social. I think the name speaks for itself. We got the Foundation Trust Primer, over 18 documents handpicked by yours truly. If you are just getting into this information, this private structure and business, and lifestyle, and you don't know where to start. You know, just all types of different trust, any different types of trust, public trust, private trust. I, you know, what kind of trust? Court, court ordered trust, court create. I mean, look, there's a lot of trust. But specifically, if you were here, you probably want to grab that trust primer. If you know, you feel like that's probably the place to start. I would say, you know, anyone who asks me. You know, where, where should I start? I, you know, I always say, grab that trust primer. That's where you want to start. You want to be able to read. If you have, um, you know, if you have issues taking time to read, you might want to work on why you can't take the time to read. But you can check out that Foundation Trust Series, Part 1, Part 2, Part 3. What is it? PowerPoint presentation format. You know, Black's Law Dictionary definitions, citations of authority from Supreme Court decisions, 
you know, all with regards to private trust structure, the administration, and, you know, its benefits that you probably heard of already. But that's, you know, the education section. You know, check it out. Also, you can find the Facebook, the Instagram, the Twitter, you know, social media if you're into that. And finally, you can make a donation or book a consultation all at the same spot. Welcome to the foundation.com. I suggest you do it. Things are getting rough out here. I want to say peace to all the listeners, live listeners. How you doing? Live callers. What's up? Internet listeners. Hey. Archive listeners. How you doing? Y'all good? Podcast listeners. MP3 listeners. Peace. How are you checking out the show? I want to say peace to you. Peace, peace. Appreciate you. Thank you. And peace to all the trustees. We have over here at the Foundation and Private Trustee Training, as well as all those of you investing in your private education. Even if it's not with the Foundation, I appreciate you, salute you, 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 you you're doing your dance. I see it. It's, 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 it's marvelous. It's absolutely marvelous. Also, a piece to anyone we've done business with in the private, anyone who sent an email, well wishes, current event, or just said what's up. Thank you. Appreciate you. And peace to you, you know, peace. So let's jump into the show. Family office, a lifetime achievement, but you know the dance. We're jumping into these current events. Reuters.com, U.S. Titans sanctions on Iran. Targets Chinese and Emirati firms over oil. And I'm going to tell you this. Look, look, check this out. Check it out. I don't like this. I don't like this at all. I'm speaking straight into the microphone because I'm dead serious. I don't like this at all. This is not what's up. Why is this not what's up? I mean, I don't feel like I'm paranoid or, you know, jittery. What do you call it? Jitterish? Jitterish? Jitter? I don't know, man. Y'all know how I do with words. Sometimes it does not compute. But here's the thing. You know, things going on, you know, with Ukraine and Russia, and that's not cool, you know, Russia. And now you got them targeting Iran and China and some Arab Emirate firms. Don't like it. I don't think that's. Here we go. The United States today imposed sanctions on the network of Chinese, Emirati, and other companies that are accused of helping to deliver and sell Iranian petroleum and petrochemical products to East Asia, pressuring Tehran as it seeks to revive the 2015 Iran nuclear deal. The U.S. Treasury Department said in a statement, the network of people and entities used a web of Gulf-based front companies to facilitate the delivery and sale of hundreds of millions of dollars in products from Iranian firms to China and elsewhere in East Asia. Washington has increasingly targeted Chinese companies over the export of Iran's petrochemicals as the prospect of reviving the nuclear pact have dimmed in Doha. Last week, indirect talks between Tehran and Washington ended without break any breakthrough over how to salvage the deal under which Iran had reigned in its atomic program. The U.S. President Donald Trump abandoned the pact in 2018 and reimposed sanctions spurring Iran, which says its programs is for peaceful purposes, to begin violating the deal's atomic limits 
quote, while the United States is committed to achieving an agreement with Iran that seeks a mutual return to compliance with the deal, we will continue to use all our authorities to enforce sanctions on the sale of Iranian petroleum and petrochemicals, end quote. This is Brian Nelson, Treasury's Undersecretary for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence. Look, <clears throat> it's it's difficult because I don't like to get political, but this is it's it is political and pol- politics affect finances, commercial markets. Let's just be honest. Politics ha- can have a negative or positive effect on commercial markets. Commercial markets have a negative or positive effect on your finances, and those finances in turn could potentially result in you know negative economic effects to your family. So you know through that chain of, you know, points, I would say that this is, this is something that I'm looking at. It's something I'm paying attention to, especially with regards to another country selling its own resources to another country. I think they're trying to skirt the the payment system, the SWIFT system. Look, it's, um, it's, it's a concern. CNBC IMF chief, chief, excuse me, Georgieva says she cannot rule out the possible global recession, and this is what we're talking about. The head of the International Monetary Fund today said the outlook for the global economy had darkened significantly since April, and she could not rule out the possible global recession next year given the elevated risks. IMF Managing Director Georgieva, Georgieva, Selena, Kristalina Georgieva, told Reuters the fund would downgrade in coming weeks in its 2022 forecast for 3.6 global economic growth for the third time this year, adding the International Monetary Fund economists were still finalizing the new numbers. The IMF is expected to release its updated forecast for 2022 and 2023 in late July, after slashing its forecast by nearly a full percentage point in April. The global economy expanded by 6.1% in 2021, but I bet you they down. You know, they down those numbers, too. They, they, they reduce them. Quote, the outlook since our last update in April has darkened significantly. We are in very choppy waters. The risk has gone up, so we cannot rule it out, end quote. Mm. And this is going on. <clears throat> this stuff is, this stuff is having, having effects. And, of course, with, you know, this, you see... CNBC, the Fed sees more restrictive policy as, as likely if inflation fails to come down. Federal Reserve officials in June emphasized the need to fight inflation, even if it meant slowing an economy that already appears on the brink of a recession, according to the meeting minutes released today. Members said the July meeting likely also would see another 50 or 75 basis point move on top of a 75 basis point increase approved in June. A basis point is one one hundredth of a percentage point. Quote, in discussing potential policy actions at upcoming meetings, participants continue to anticipate the ongoing increases in the target range for the federal funds rate and would be appropriate to achieve its committee's objectives. In particular, participants judge that an increase of 50 to 75 basis points would likely be appropriate at the next meeting, end quote. Raising benchmark borrowing rates by three-quarters of a percentage point 
In June, was necessary to control the cost of living increases running at their highest level since 1981, according to central bankers. They said they will continue to do so until inflation gets close to their 2% long-run goal. Now, I want to remind everybody. Maybe you don't know. Maybe I'm telling you, informing you. I would like to remind you or inform you that the Fed was letting inflation run hot or above 2% or above the 2% target. Then they said that inflation was not going to happen. And then inflation had, did happen, and they said inflation will be transitory. Now they're doing all this stuff to fight inflation. I just want to point out that this is a circus. It's having effects. It has effects on real people because one of the first things, well, the first thing that companies do when they need to cut costs is reduce their labor, their labor force. First thing they do, they, they lay people off. So I'm watching the stock market. I'm watching all this stuff because this stuff is, like I said, is a circus. Red flag consumers are using buy now, pay later to cover everyday expenses, basically credit. Buy now, pay later installment plans have become popular among consumers seeking to spread out the cost of big ticket purchases. But now rising prices have some cash strapped shoppers reaching for these alternative payment methods for everyday purchases, such as the daily coffee, gas station fill-up, or grocery runs as well. That's a concern for economists and consumer advocates who say the surge in the use of these services, coupled with a lack of transparency and little regulatory oversight, leaves them wondering just how much debt Americans are actually getting into. While other household debt, such as credit card spending and auto loans, is gathered and tracked by the Federal Reserve, buy now, pay later, data is not included because the financing is typically provided by non-bank sources and not yet reported in a comprehensive manner to credit bureaus. So not just credit card. Credit card debt right now is the highest it's ever been since they started recording it. Buy now, pay later, lines of credit, stuff is starting to get maxed out, y'all. I don't know. Are you feeling a pinch? CNBC, there's a battle over inflation-linked pay adding to the European port contagion. Growing congestion at ports in Germany and the Netherlands, which could delay car and furniture shipments to the U.S. for weeks, shows no signs of clearing up as the latest round of labor negotiations between the Central Association of German Seaport Committees, I'm sorry, companies, and the German Labor Union ended with no agreement. So, we have we have these things going on. All of these things are happening at the same time. They're converging, as as some would say. It's uh, it's 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 a concern. So we got CNBC congested port of Oakland, slashing free wait time for import containers. It's not just overseas. I'm trying to tell y'all this is not. This is not looking good. The Port of Oakland has had enough of the long-dwelling import containers clogging its ports. On July 1st, Oakland was reducing the tariff free time from seven days to four days to reduce congestion on this marine terminal and may raise penalties for containers that sit there for too long. Then this is this is a problem. Why? Because there's an issue with the supply chains as they break down further and further. Speaking of breaking down, is the worst over for markets? No one can say CNN business. Few investors will have experienced a tougher beginning to a year than the six-month stretch that just finished. Professionals have been beaten down while amateur traders 
used to 2021's eye-popping rallies were dealt a harrowing reality check. What's happening? The S&P 500 notched its worst start since 1970, plunging 20.6% between January and June. The Dow had its largest first half drop since 1962, man. And the Nasdaq Composite had its largest percentage decline ever. A nasty combination of circumstances have been hammering stocks. Russia's war in Ukraine has driven inflation higher. Sure is Russia. Sure is just, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got personal exacerbating concerns about how aggressive central banks like the Federal Reserve will need to rein it in. That's boosted fears of a recession this year or next the lockdowns in China, the world's largest economy or second largest economy, have also fed anxiety. And that's not all the things that are going on. Real quick, because I want to get to the show. Reuters, world hunger rising as United Nations agencies warn of a looming catastrophe. World hunger levels rose again last year after soaring in 2020 due to the panorama. With the Ukraine war and climate change threatening starvation and mass migration on an unprecedented scale this year, according to the United Nations agencies, up to 828 million people or nearly 10% of the world's population were affected by hunger last year, 46 million more than in 2020 and 150 million more than in 2019. So, you know, it's, it's increasing. Agencies include the Food and Agriculture Organization, World Food Program, and World Health Organization. World hunger levels remain relatively unchanged between 2015 and 2019, but now it's going down. Quote, there's real danger these numbers will climb even higher in the months ahead. This is Executive Director David Beasley, who also said price spikes in food Fuel and fertilizer stemming from the Russia-Ukraine war threatened to push countries into famine. The result will be global destabilization, starvation, and mass migration on an unprecedented scale. We have to act today to avert this looming catastrophe, he added. Yikes. Yikes. I mean, what can you do? You know, hey, grow a garden. Grow a garden. You don't have a, you don't have a yard? Grow something in the window. A little pot. A little pot. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. It's getting weird, though. Europe will count natural gas and nuclear as green energy in some circumstances. What? European Union. The European Union voted today to keep some specific uses, some, excuse me, some specific uses of natural gas and nuclear energy in its or on its list, I'm sorry, on its list of sustainable sources of energy. How is that? How is natural gas? You burn natural gas, it creates, what does it create? It creates carbon emissions. Carbon. Wild amounts of carbon emissions. So, Europe's tax of money is its classification system for defining, in, defining environmentally Sustainable economic activities, policymakers, investors, and companies. This official opinion from the ECU, I'm sorry, from the EU matters because it affects funding for projects as the region charts its path to address climate change. Funding for projects, money, that's what it boils down to. 
In theory, the tax money aims to boost green investments and prevent greenwashing, according to the EU's parliament. The vote on natural gas and nuclear energy follows one of the follows one that was passed in February, which amounted to a referendum on what had been a particularly controversial piece of the ruling. Look, what's going on? Energy. The availability of, of gas, petro, petrochemical products, you know, raw oil, crude oil, natural gas, you know, these things, methane, these things um, are heavily used to make fertilizers, heavily used in agriculture, and they're becoming less and less available as the, I would say, the breakdown of the new world order or the one world government continues. Crazy. So energy is what's happening and what's pushing a lot of this stuff or the fear of the lack of energy. Case in point, French government plans to nationalize electricity giant EDF. And I'm going to tell you, updated, they did. France's government plans to nationalize indebted French electricity giant EDF amid a broad energy crisis aggravated by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The French state now holds an 84% stake in the company, one of the world's biggest electricity producers. Shares in EDF, which has suffered a series of nuclear reactor shutdowns and other problems, recently jumped on the news. You're going to see more of this. Energy companies and stuff, the governments are going to start taking them over. It's going to get crazy. What else is going to get crazy? Fewer chickpeas means protein and hummus could be harder to find. Yahoo Finance. Oh, by way of Reuters. Global supplies of chickpeas, the main ingredient, could dip as much as 20% this year, according to data from the Global Post Confederation. Weather and war have hurt supplies of the protein-packed bean, driving up food prices and creating headaches for food manufacturers. Chickpeas are made into hummus, flour, soups, stews, curries, and all types of other things, Mark. While they are growing in popularity in the United States, they have long been key, a key part of diets of people in India and the Middle East, places that are already struggling to cover rising costs of food imports. Farmers in the United States, the number four chickpea exporter, planted fewer chickpeas this year as poor weather bogged down spring planting and they prioritize more lucrative commodity crops like wheat and corn, government data shows. Meanwhile, top buyers from South Asia and the Mediterranean are trying to scoop up dwindling U.S. stocks as supplies shrink worldwide. And as the war between Russia and Ukraine, both producers of chickpeas, exacerbates disruptions to global supply chains. you got to understand how large of a country Russia is and how much agricultural land they have, man. It's going down. Quote, when the Russia-Ukraine war broke out, the demand boomed. This is Jeff Van Pevage. What? Pevenage? Pevenage. I'm going to say Pevenage. I like Pevenage. He's the chief executive officer of Columbia Grain International, Grain and Post Merchandiser and Supplier Headquartered in Portland, Portland, Oregon. Quote, we saw strong demand from China. Then it was calls from customers in Pakistan and Bangladesh. End quote. So these guys are trying to reach this far across the world to get their hands on chickpeas, man. It's going down. It's going down everywhere. Hurry up. Let me get to that. Uh, Samsung. This is, what, Reuters. Samsung Electronics posts 
a smaller than expected Q2 profit as smartphone demand slows. And I think you can see this, you know, how many smartphones can you sell? How many people buying new smartphones after a certain point, everybody has a smartphone, you know, I don't know. What's the difference between the iPhone 12 and the iPhone 13? What's the difference between the iPhone 13 and the iPhone 14 they're about to announce? Not very much. Samsung Electronics Company reported a smaller than expected rise in quarterly operating earnings on Thursday as lower sales to inflation hit smartphone makers. I'm sorry. As lower sales, this must be a typo. I'm going to fix it in my mind, though. As lower sales and inflation hit smartphone makers, dragged on profits from server customers loading up on memory chips. Dude, what kind of sentence was that? The world's largest memory chip and smartphone maker estimated its profit rose 11% from a year earlier. Its highest quarter of profits since 2018. The profit fell short, but still rose 21%. Either way, you're going to see this happening as well. You know, these chips is going to be a shortage of almost everything. And, you know, companies are, are having problems. Bed Bath & Beyond, CEO is out as sales tumble. The beleaguered company announced multiple changes to its leadership today, including replacing the CEO in the interim. Bed Bath & Beyond has tapped Sue Grove, an independent director in the company's board. Quote, we must deliver improved results, end quote, Grove said in the statement. Top-tier execution, care for management of costs, greater supply chain reliability. Good luck with that. Prudent capital spending, okay. A stronger balance sheet and robust digital capabilities will be an important will be important to our success. End quote. Bed Bath and Bed Bath and Beyond poached Triton from Target in 2019. He was previously in charge of expanding Target's private label brands, which he tried to replicate at Bed Bath and Beyond. But those items haven't caught on with customers the same way they did at competitors. Nor did the company's redesigned stores. Oops. Oops, sales are tumbling, so let's fire the CEO. Stocks, oil struggle to hold ground as minutes show Fed rally around rates. And that's the same thing. It's, it's going down. But that's it. That's it for current events. What is, what's going on? You got supply chain issues. You have um, gl- global meteorological <laughs> issues with regards to climate change, man. You know, you got Farmers planting later in the season, so the season is going to be shorter. So they're specifically only planting specific crops because they they yield more, so they can make more money. We have the UN warning of a famine and catastrophe. I mean, this this thing is getting serious. Prices are going up. The Fed's raising interest rates. They said they're going to do it again. Stock market is trembling. Companies are scrambling. The economy is teetering. So what are we gonna do? We're gonna become more independent, independent. Let's let's talk about a family office. Now, a lot of people have asked me about family office, man. You know? So it's like you know, I want you to talk about family office, so why don't you do a, a show on family office? And there's there's two reasons why I didn't do a show on family office. The first one, I'm going to be honest, because my family doesn't have one. And I don't like to really talk about things that, you know, I don't do, so to speak. But 
It's something, you know, that I'm looking to achieve in my lifetime. That's why this episode is called Family Office, a lifetime achievement. And the second reason that I didn't want to really discuss Family Office is, you know, I think if you, unless you have straight up training, you know, administrative business training, uh, administrative, I mean, if you have business training, executive business training, uh, schooling, it's it's going to be very difficult. Now, how do you get training? Uh, you can pay for it. How else do you get training? You can start a business. You can start an LLC and, and, you know, read the statutes on LLCs and, you know, understand the structure of that entity. And, you know, you can, it's easy. It's easy. You can start a business trust and structure it in a way to where, you know, there are different what we call verticals. There's different initiatives. There's different things that the individual, you know, um, structure or the group of structures are involved in all for the same purpose. And what is that purpose? To grow wealth. Ultimately, to grow wealth. What is the family office? Its purpose is to grow wealth. But it's a privately held company or um, a lot of times it's a, it's a trust. It's a business trust. But it handles the investments and the investment management and the wealth management. You have investments and you have wealth. You have wealth in different forms, gold and silver, maybe cash, mostly it's going to be land, maybe some stocks, some, something like that. That's, that would be considered more on the side of wealth. You know, then you have investments. There's, there's, there's funds that have been allocated or appropriated or sequestered (laughs) specifically for the purpose of investments and properly invested these funds grow in value so as the investment account or accounts grow in value you know you you would understand that it would become cumbersome for you know an individual trustee or maybe even you know, a a board of trustees who do not have financial, executive, uh, business, administrative, anything type of training, it can be difficult. What is a family office? It's basically a company that's created by a family. The, the, the family office capital is composed of, uh, you know, like I said, a specific portion of the family's own wealth. Some family offices also handle tasks such as managing household staff, making travel arrangements, specific property management, day-to-day accounting, and payroll activities. Management of legal affairs, family management services, family governance, financial and investor education, coordination of philanthropy, and private foundations. Also succession planning. A family office can cost over $1 million to operate a year. So typically a family's net worth usually exceeds $100 million in investable assets. Remember I said you have wealth management and you have investment management. So we're talking about some money. Really what it is, is it is a office comprised of accountants, uh, business professionals, professional investors, you know, those, you know, groundskeepers, it's it's a company. It's a company that handles 
all of the aspects of investment. Let's say let's say one of the investments or one of the uh, assets of the family office is a large property. It's a large estate, or or maybe it's even a large apartment complex. We could say 50, 75 units, something very large. You know, there would be an a division or team within the family office that handles the management of these properties or this specific property, but there'd be more properties. And that team could essentially have the authority to hire groundskeepers, purchase vehicles, things of that nature for the management of and maintenance of the property. Now, how am I going to relate this? If you have a family trust, right? You have a family trust, that family trust will likely have involved with it, especially if you're, you know, dealing with private structures, an asset trust, possibly a business trust or several, um, maybe even several assets trusts, you know? And then that, all of these trusts basically, and that, in the, in the, in the case of the asset trust, the asset would manage or hold the, the titles of the assets. In the case of the business trust, the business would either function as directly or own and control interest or shares in a public, you know, in a public business, a public corporation or LLC or something of that nature, specifically to, you know, generate income. Such income would be for the benefit ultimately of the old, the entire family, the family estate. Now, if you scale that down a little, right? Let's say the family trust gets very large. There's a lot of beneficiaries. Let's say there's a lot of different asset trusts. The family, the state owns a lot of land. It owns several businesses straight up, privately held. Um, And family offices are privately owned. They're privately held. They're not publicly traded. They're not, there's, there's no way you can buy stock in these companies. So let's say the family estate has a lot of Real estate it has a lot of property, business, or income-producing property, whether it's residential or commercial. But commercial is five units and up, so it's going to be a lot of commercial properties. You know, there may be some businesses that the business trust owns. There may be a mechanic shop. There may be a corner store. There may be a copy center. There may be all these different businesses. Who knows? Who knows? In all of these business, whether or not family members work there, their profits feed the family estate. So when these family estates get large enough, they are too cumbersome. There's, it's too much going on for the board of trustees to handle it. You know, it's, it's to the point where you realize that you have to hire other people to handle this stuff, right? And then it gets to the point where you're like, we, we're, we're employing so many people. We might as well organize this in a structure 
that's, you know, more beneficial at least with regards to, you know, expenses. And that's a family office. And then the family office will have like a a director. And then there will be administration and then they would have departments. There's the department that handles, you know, the management of all of the properties, commercial properties, any, you know, personal property, whatever, whatever. Residential doesn't matter. There's there's a division or department in the family office that manages all of the dealings with all of the companies or corporations that the estate has interest in. There's a department or division that handles all of the investments like trading the stocks and you know anything that's investment oriented. A business is is an income. It's it's an investment, but you know once it's producing income, it's it's a business. You know, so like investment stocks, bonds. You know, maybe even loans. There could be you know private loans or you know venture capital loans or something like that. You know, as well as the family could also have a family foundation. There could be a department within the family office that these people, it could be five or six, these people, all they do is administer and run the family foundation according to the indenture, the trust contract indenture or the governing instrument of, you know, that particular foundation. See, here's the thing. After a certain number of generations, this is what happens. When you deal with multi-generational wealth, you start talking about things like family offices. You know, you start talking about things like uh, endowments and things of that nature. Maybe possibly getting the family name on a, on a university library or something like that. Because once the estate begins to produce the income of, of that results from the proper administration through multiple generations of wealth, it becomes too much. It becomes too much. And in that family office, there will be an accounting department. And that accounting department will have one or two accountants, and then there'll probably be a tax attorney, a contract attorney, and maybe even a litigation attorney on retainer. And that's where, you know, family offices, that can cost over a million dollars a year to operate easily. So you need, usually you're going to need funds in excess of a hundred million dollars. Assets, capital, whatever, because you know, the, the employees of the investment uh, department, you know, the traders or the, you know, whatever, whatever they're getting paid for to make money, to, to, to make, take money and make money with that money and grow the money that they were given to make money with over time and collect a salary and maybe possibly bonuses off of, you know, the, the money that you make the family office. So in order to sustain, you know, annual operation costs that possibly can exceed $1 million, you're going to have to have, you know, not only 
a nice amount of income-producing businesses, income-producing property, and income-producing investments. in order to sustain that type of operating cost. And you got to pay all the employees or contractors, however you, you know, set them up. And there's, there's, there's a lot of fees. There's billable hours when you're dealing with attorneys, you know, depending on what's going on. You know, a lot of labor costs if you're dealing with um, large properties and stuff. But you get to a point in the administration of your private estate to where we, as a family, we can't do all this. We're the generation that grew up with a family estate, with a family trust. We we heard about it all the time. I heard about my family trust all the time. I heard about the money I was going to get. They told me that they put life insurance on me when I was a baby. I told them they were crazy. But we're the generation that grew up with the family trust, and we didn't. we don't have student loans. I don't know what they did, but they... They pay for my. They pay for my college, my any any education that I wanted to do. They they paid for it. Who's they? The board of trustees. Board of trustees. What? My family trust. That I'm the beneficiary of. We don't have debt. We don't have that that hunger and drive to change things for the better because we grew up and it was already better. And I don't really have any interest in being the trustee. I don't really have any interest. And running a family foundation. And you have to think in this manner because if there are unrealistic expectations placed on successors or successor beneficiaries of an estate, the next generation or whatever, there's unrealistic expectations placed on them or other individuals within the family with regards to um the administration or really the time that is expected from them with regards to the administration of this family estate or this family trust or this business trust or this, you know, this asset trust. It causes conflict. It can cause disunity and create resentment within the family. And that's why I tell a lot of trustees in the private, first of all, the people closest to you that know you the longest thing to be the last people to listen to you because they know you. The, the, the vision and representation and, you know, character that they know with regards to you is seasoned. It's set in. It's going to take time and some consistency and some different results that you show and produce before they really start asking you questions. And that's when That's when you start talking about this information. And number two, you may think that someone is intelligent enough or they have the capabilities or maybe even they have the time or something to for this information. You can be a trustee and you can help them in the state and stuff. And, you know, that can be pressure to them and they have no real desire, regardless if they have the applicable knowledge or skills or capabilities that you're forcing upon them ultimately. And they're not interested. That causes disunity, resentment. You know, you don't want to disunify the family. You know, the family trust, the family estate is for unification and reunification of the family. So it's something that that ends up being 
implemented sooner than you think. Now, you already understand. Ultimately, you run the family office. You have, if you're the trustee of a private, private estate, it's just not an actual structure that is a family office. You know, but, you know, you, as a board of trustees, we run all this stuff. But as the, as the wealth grows and as the estate grows, and it does, and I'm telling you, when you start getting to that point, it's like, man, it's a lot of documents. It's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of files. It's a lot of logins. It's a lot of passwords. It's a lot. It's a lot of mailings. It's a lot of different forms. It's a lot of different submissions. It's a lot of different things. And eventually, it gets to the point where you realize, like, yo, I'm kind of, you know, doing a part-time slash full-time job with this stuff. And it's natural. When you realize or the board of trustees realizes, then they want to draw more salary from the estate. You know, hey, I need more benefits. I'm giving more, more of my time. And you just gotta you gotta be aware, you know, if you're serious about this stuff, if you're serious about, you know, private trusteeship, if you're serious about the administration of a private structure that's more powerful than any legislative structure that ever existed and ever will exist, if you're serious about this, it's it's something that you have to think about at least think about it. Like you know, what is the point? where this estate has enough wealth and income to to where, you know, I kind of got to start hiring people to handle it. Right? And then you realize you get to a point, right, where you're contracting, let's say you're contracting an accounting firm, right? You're contracting an attorney from another firm, right? You're contracting an attorney firm. You're contracting an accounting firm. Maybe you've been contracting some secretarial services, right? You get to the point where it's like, man, okay, so how much is it to how much do secretaries salaries these these days, right? Because it's natural. You, you want to focus on increasing the income, and you also want to focus on decreasing the expenses. A lot of people miss that. But it's a dual, it's dual purpose. We have dual purposes for fiduciary trustees. Increase the assets and income, decrease the expenses as much as possible. So you look into it. What is it to hire a CPA? How much do CPAs get in a salary? How much do secretaries get in a salary? How much do, you know, attorneys get in a salary from like a firm? And you realize that the trust is paying, the estate is paying these three positions, these three people, these three firms, the accountant, the attorney, the secretary because you know you're contracting them out that's what you're doing you realize as a trustee the board whatever you know in in the endeavor to reduce expenses at all costs and at any time the board of trustees resolved that there would be an investigation of the salary the annual salary of, of the respective 
positions that we subcontract, secretarial, legal, accounting. In this investigation, the Board of Trustees has realized that it would be cheaper annually to actually hire these positions in-house, legal, hire an attorney, secretary, hire a secretary, accountant, hire an accountant. That's what what structure are you going to use to hire those? This is this is the family office. This is the first step of family office. This is what I'm breaking down. I know I know I talk in circles sometimes, but I always get to the point because I know when people ask. So I want you to talk about family office. I know what you're saying. I know what you're really asking. You're asking, tell me about it. I want to know about it. And is it time for me to start doing that? Is it time for me to start looking at a family office? Because, you know, so I went through the training, trustee training, set up the trust. It's crazy. It's amazing what's happening. I went through the foundation training. We set up a private family foundation. Me and my wife, we set it up. And it's crazy. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So, So I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm seeing all this income and I'm seeing this. I'm seeing the advantages. It's, it's obvious. It was immediate. You know, we got the life insurance. We know we're using the cash value of life insurance from, from the estate. And, you know, this is different. So this is absolutely different. I really want to hear you talk about family offices. I mean, if I'm lying, it's cool. It's cool. I'm not, I don't think I'm lying, though. That's the first step. The first step, when you know it's time to start thinking about a family office, is when you or and or the board of trustees of the family trust, I don't care what it is, business trust, doesn't matter, whatever it is. When it, when it comes to realization that these particular firms that we contract with for these particular services are costing the trust or the estate more than it would cost to hire these people or these positions in-house. It's family office time, baby. When you start thinking like that, family office time. Why? Because which structure are you going to hire? Are you going to hire them under the business trust? Are you going to hire them under the family foundation? Are you going to hire them under the family trust? Are you going to hire them under one of the asset trusts or all the asset trusts? There's a lot of us. That's, you know, business trust, family trust, asset trust, family foundations. That's four structures. And let's just assume that maybe there's one or two business trusts and let's one or two family trusts. We're talking about like five or six structures, you know, realistically. And I don't, this is not unrealistic. This happens. It happens all the time. And in the, the family manages or owns an LLC. Now, now you're adding structures. The business trust has, you know, 98% ownership in this LLC or 2% ownership in this or 50% ownership in that. That's, you know, we're talking about the management and the administration of a lot of structures. We are. We are, we are, we are, we are, we are. So which structure are you going to contract them with? Check this out. If you try to contract them with every single structure, they're going to charge you for every single single structure. So what you do is you hire them for the family office, give them a salary 
through the family office, whether the family office is a statutory entity or not, you pay them a salary, you pay the accountant a salary, you pay the secretary a salary, pay the attorney a salary. And then as part of their duties, as part of their employment contract duties, they handle all of these structures. <laughs> you know, hey, they can quit if they want, just hire someone else. It's going to be a, a much cheaper way to do it in-house once you get there. Once, once you get there, and then when they start complaining, just know that employees complain. You know it. You've been your employee. I, you know, I've been an employee before. I complain. You got to know when the complaints are getting to be serious, and then it might be time to hire them some help. You might not bring on another attorney or bring on an, an assistant for the secretary or bring in another accountant or an assistant for the accountant. It might, it might be that time. And this is ultimately the organic and natural scaling of a business. And family is business. Your family is business. Family is business. It's the first business. I don't care. It's the first government. It's the first business. So, and it's all about how you operate it. So what is a family office? It's a privately held company. Or it's a private trust that handles investment management and wealth management for a wealthy family. The company, the family office, the financial capital is the family's own wealth, a portion of the family's own wealth. And, you know, investments, management of property, <clears throat> real estate, commercial, otherwise, accounting, legal, secretarial. That's an office, man. That's Think about it. You walk into an office, you see those departments, you see those offices, those nameplates on the offices, on the office doors and stuff. You know it's legitimate. It's legit. You start saying sir and ma'am and stuff. And it's it's a lifetime achievement, y'all. It's not something that you just set up. You know, it's not a hallmark of someone in the private or something. It's not a hallmark of someone who's doing what they're supposed to do. It's a hallmark of a wealthy family is what it is. It's It's really more than likely beyond our generation. You know, it really is. We 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 mentor our successor trustees properly, teach them properly, inform them properly as to business, the commercial realm, how business is conducted, how it's just business and not personal, and it's really all about the the execution of the contract, the the commencement, the transaction itself. That's what it's about. 
and teach them proper business practices, teach them what to look for, teach them how to see opportunities, teach them, hey, if you get a bunch of money, let's say you get a windfall, or a settlement or something, you know, and it's a bunch of money, purchase a business, invest the money. Make the money, make money, and then use the money that the that the money makes to go on a trip. People get money and they just spend it. It's difficult not to. You've been taught in a consumer world. Consumerism, every everything is about you purchasing or buying something. So it's all about in the public. So we have to teach the successor trustees how to avoid that and why it's necessary to avoid that and what is actually happening. In a commercial transaction, ultimately, especially when it's from the private to the public, if it's if it's a consumer household, it's not. I'm talking. I'm not talking business to business. I'm talking consumer household to business. What's happening is there is value or wealth being extracted from the private, because you know a company must sell a product or service at a profit, which means they must get more. For the products or service Then they paid To you know get the product or service To you or you know Perform the service or something like that It has to be more Which means there's an extraction of wealth That must be understood On a fundamental basis In order for any proper Administration to happen For any true wealth, family wealth to grow, for any achievement of a lifetime it requires pop, proper proper knowledge, proper understanding. It requires a proper foundation. It really does. You like how I just brought all that full circle? I know. I know. I'm just playing. <laughs> that was luck. <laughs> I didn't even think about it. But, you know, it's something that we can achieve. Now, is it tough to get to $100 million? As an employee, yes. If we've been taught and only looked at the world and commerce and economics and property and cars and, you know, just possessions. If we've only looked at them from the perspective of an, of an employee with a limited of ceiling, with a limited income, a predictable limited income, it's difficult to imagine $100 million. It really is. But once you change your mind, that's why I say going private is a lifestyle. It's not, oh, I'm going to throw out some documents and I'm going to do this and that and they're just going to recognize and it's going to be fun. No, you're going to have to enforce you're going to have to enforce the law because there's no law enforcement for the private. The only thing they protect is your life and your property. And you got to deal with the sheriff. But I'm not even going to get into that. But there's no law enforcement with regards to nothing in the, in the, when you're dealing privately. The only enforcement is an equitable court because they can rule to whether or not there was a breach of contract and subsequently, you know, Adjudicate. That's it. You can't. You pull the statutes. Now you don't pull your trust into the statutes. You don't pull your private estates. If you're trying to claim the benefit of the statute, 
while administering a private entity. Ooh, I mean, just just say, just saying that makes me makes me want to go brush my teeth. But you know, these things these things need to be understood on a fundamental level. But when you when you when you look at commerce, when you look at the public from the aspect of a private trust administrator from the position of creditor from the position of owner it's different and a hundred million dollars isn't that much money and people are like man you tripping a hundred million dollars man look think about it think about it what did I just say <laughs> what did I just say look that's all I'm going to say no, I don't do that dance. But, yeah, man, that, that's my take on family office, y'all. I, you know, hopefully I trust that I was able to satiate that, you know, inquiring mind with regards to family office. What am I saying? Hey, you ain't ready. Why am I saying you ain't ready? Because I ain't ready yet, you know? Um, unless you got bread on bread on bread on bands on stacks on stacks on stacks on racks on racks on racks in carts in carts in carts, you ain't ready. Hundred million dollars. You got hundred million dollars invest investable capital. That's an investment. Hundred million dollars. You get to hundred million dollars, you take the whole hundred million dollars and invest in a family office. That's an investment. That's shaky. You don't be one of them, them hover helicopter bosses, always there asking all the questions, driving them insane. They're going to quit on you. Like I said, this is multi-generational wealth when you're dealing with private estates. I, I'm not attempting to discourage you. I'm just attempting to put it into perspective. And, you know, as I said, the name of the show, Family Office, a lifetime achievement. Something else you should be looking to achieve in your lifetime. But as of now, you know, we got to focus on growing that wealth of the estate. We got to focus on, you know, adding assets to the asset trust. We got to focus on um, creating you know, income for the family trust and the, the family estate, as well as then it's got to be recurring income. You know, usually starts sporadic, and then once you get that recurring income, you know, and you keep the expenses low. That's the thing: grow the income, reduce the expe- ex- expenses. Once you get there, and then you start adding more and more wealth and more and more wealth, and look, hundred million dollars. You're gonna have it's gonna be a lot of real estate. I'm just, it should be. It shouldn't be just a hundred million dollars cash and some stocks and stuff. You know, people say I'm worth a hundred million. My net worth is this. They're they're counting all their real estate. Please believe me. The large uh, the largest portion of wealth of wealthy families, wealthy private families, the largest amount of their wealth is going to be held in real estate, whether commercial, residential, or agricultural, doesn't matter. 
That's that's going to be your foundation of wealth when you start getting to family office level. It's going to be real estate. It's going to be land. And then you're going to have investments. You're going to have holdings. You're going to have cash. It's going to be all this, you know, you're going to have that in the private in the estate. But when you know when they say a hundred million dollars, they're they're including a large portion of real estate. So there it is, family office, a lifetime achievement. I appreciate y'all checking out the show. I'm going to get up out of here. I got places to be. But you know I love y'all. And yes, yes, yes. I'm, the show's live. It's, li- it's live. I'm back. I had a really busy day. I still did the show. That means I'm back. You know? That means I'm back. And I still, my day isn't even over. That means I'm back. I love y'all. I appreciate y'all. I, I trust that you learned something from this episode. You know, I trust that you have um, received some actionable information that you appreciate. That's really all I'm, I'm attempting to do. It's just to go, you know, relay this foundation. You know, be sure to email me, admin at welcometothefoundation.com. You know, sign up for the email list, book a consultation, ask, inquire about trustee training. You know, um, we got some modifications going on with the training, man. You know, hey, it's show for man I've been on high frequency for over six years. And I'm not saying anything, I'm just saying, you know what I mean? We got about sixty seconds left, but I'm gonna end the show, so I I definitely appreciate y'all. I really do, man, y'all. Y'all um y'all are the greatest. Straight up. But yeah, email me, admin at welcome to the foundation dot com. You know, what's up with trustee training? What's up? Good playing. Complain with your state, complain with your life. But nah, it's great to be back. It's 100% great to be back. So yeah, check me out. Welcome to the foundation.com. Like I said, sign up for the email list. I trust y'all had a great, great day. Great. We'll have a great week. You enjoyed yourself, you know. Take care of yourself. Make sure you say 10 things just that you are thankful for before you go to sleep tonight and every night as it is important. Now we'll catch you next week on the hottest radio network on the planet, High Frequency Radio Network. I'm your, your host, So L, here on the foundation on High Frequency Radio Network, and it's been a pleasure. Y'all enjoy yourself. Peace to the gods. High Frequency Radio. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.